Welcome to All Things Church Planting, a podcast dedicated to empathize with and empower the church planter. We aim to walk alongside you in your unique calling through real stories and relevant topics. We're a production of the 80 plus million initiative of the Central Region of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. You can check us out at 80plusmillion.org. What's going on, All Things Church Planting? This is Justin with the Central Region of the Christian Missionary Alliance. If you don't know, we're broken up into regions and districts, and this is seven geographical districts. There are multiplication leaders sitting around the table, and we're constantly talking about the evangelization of 80-plus million people and discipleship, the responsive, that sit in our geographical region. And this is the way it's going to be for the next three episodes. These same guys sitting around the table... Uh, we'll, we'll put the, the names and the intros in the show notes if you want to check that out. But this specific episode is about recruiting. Who are we recruiting? And why are we looking for that type of person? That might surprise you, the, the type of person that we're looking for. And it's also kind of an introduction of, hey, we are in the church planning game. We'd love to be a part of your recruiting, your assessment, your coaching, and your training. If you don't have tribe, if you don't have denomination, if you don't have some sort of umbrella sitting over you and with you, in this church planting journey. The point is, don't plant alone. I hope you enjoy this episode. We're, we're constantly praying for workers for the harvest. Uh, every day at 10.02, we, uh, we pray for workers for the harvest. Uh, it's something we care deeply about. It's something we long for as more church planters um, because we believe in church planting. We believe that multiplication of um, communities of light invading darkness all over the world is is something that's going to be a part of God changing the world. So when we're praying for those workers, what type of church planters specifically are we looking for? What are we looking for in a church planter? I guess the first thing that comes to mind is uh, desire to see people that come into our family who have a sober understanding of who they are, uh, maybe most importantly, who they're not, uh, to be able to, to interrelate with people who are different from them, learn from them, submit to them, uh, to be edified by them, and to continue to develop those kinds of relationships. I think uh, the church planting world and what we're looking for is shifting. Uh, It used to be when I first started playing in this world that there was a pretty clear-cut look at what we expected out of a church planter. And they looked a lot like Justin. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what that. We don't know what that means. <laughs> they didn't even know what skinny jeans were back then. <laughs> Easy. Uh, you know, they they had a certain a personality driven, charismatic, high powered, uh, stellar communicator with a whole lot of woo factor to them. Uh, and I think what we've watched over the last couple of decades in church planting is there's a need to, to look again at what a church planter looks like. Uh, and so I think at the heart of it, we're looking for uh, planters who walk in a sense of desperate dependence upon Jesus Christ. Uh, not guys who can do it in their own abilities, their own strengths, but who in their weakness are gifted by the king to get his work done. And so that takes a, a dependence on, on him, a, 
a humility. Um, I think we're still after people that know how to to work hard mm. to do the things that Jesus has called right. them to do. Mm-hmm. But I, th- I think the I think what we're looking for has shifted and and rightfully so. Is it because we saw? I think this is an important conversation. Is it because we saw that there was some danger? in recruiting just that type of person or thinking that only that type of person could plant a church? Did we see, you said over the last 20 years, and, and you're right, I think. So what did we see over the last 20 years that, that helped, us, helped us make that shift? Yeah, well, when you're good, when you, when you got the skill set, when you got the look, when you got the charisma, you, you can do a whole lot of stuff in your own ability, your own strength. And um, I think what we watched was a whole lot of people blow themselves up. Uh, Blow up not only themselves, but their families. Blow up the ministry that God had birthed, or I guess God didn't birth that one, that they birthed, um, and hurt the reputation of the church in a community. Well, we we have plenty of examples of when, when you have that type of person and you're only looking for that type of person the whole world starts to surround around that. It's like it's like that one Superman movie where every that, that thing was in the sky and it was sucking up everything. It's almost like when, when you're looking for that personality or you're trying to be that personality or, or you're trying to create all these things in your own power and strength, um, the world starts to revolve around you. And we get narcissistic leaders and we get self-centered leaders and... They start to read all their own fan mail, and then everything is surrounding them and the Sunday morning performance and their leadership. And then we start seeing all sorts of moral failures and things like that. And so, okay, so we're, we're not looking for that anymore. We, we feel like we've learned our lesson. We're looking for a, a humble, surrendered leader. What, what else are we looking yeah. for in a leader? Let, let, let me keep on that for just one sure. second. You know, we, in this circle of guys, We'll talk about the utilization of the ordinary. And I think, I think the verse that captures it, that should capture what we're looking for is Acts 4.13. These were unschooled. This is the reputation that the early disciples had, right? Uh, these were unschooled, ordinary men. The piece that made them stand out is that they had been with Jesus. Hmm. Somebody that walks with the king can be as ordinary as that white wall. Uh, and they don't have to have all the slick education and all the slick equipping. But if you, if you walk with the king and, you've, and, and that is your reputation, when people bump into you, they bump into Jesus. Uh, those, are the, those are the kind of people that are going to establish new expressions of the body of Christ that, that I'm at. And I think one of the things that goes with that is for many of them, they've been deeply wounded somewhere in life, either family or in ministry, a lot of times in ministry. And Are you act- saying the unschooled ordinary people? Yeah, yeah and, okay. and they have, they've responded well to that because some people just get angry with God and it's like, forget you, God, and they're gone. The others, it's like what it's created actually is the beautiful humility. I can think of a guy now, it's like, Man, he has a lot of skill. And it's like there's no way before the what I watched him go through, the bro- the breaking, the heartache, the pain, 
there's no way before that I would have hired him. Now it's like he leaned into, at first he wanted to just reject it all and reject the church. And now it's like, if Jesus doesn't show up, I'm messed over. And so there's that sense of, I find myself many times wanting to hear their story to say, where's that broken piece? Where's the piece where they have, and I think God's so deeply loving and passionate for us, he allows us to go into that to say, are you really going to believe me and trust me for this versus you can do it? And so that's, that's not a sexy piece. It's like, who wants to hang out the laundry that says, I was broken here, I was hurt here, and mm-hmm. yet Jesus has redeemed that. And now it's a part of the story, which I think to a lot of degrees, it, it starts charting the course of how God is now going to redeem a lot of other people through that story and that brokenness. Yeah, that goes to, the, you know, in basic training, we talk about that idea. So Alan Redpath, mm-hmm. uh, God's going to do a deep work in you before he ever does a deep yeah. work through you. And the idea that I- until you end up in that broken place, your dependence isn't going to be where it needs to be. And so finding those people who have learned to walk with a limp mm-hmm. uh, are, are make for beautiful church planters. And I think some of this is necessary because of the shift from that Sunday-centric performance model. And I think this kind of character that we're talking about in church planters, it was always necessary. But if it was just this Sunday-centric performance, you could hide behind that and not have this deep character transformation that you bring to church planting. And now that we're not proposing a Sunday-centric only performance model that requires a different type of person who has had a different type of experience of walking with Jesus. I think that's why this has shifted, partially is because of the models that we're exploring and willing to try that we weren't before. It's also been interesting to try to gauge a sense of burden in the hearts of these folks to to go back to the prayer, Jesus says to lift your eyes to the harvest. And so we've tried to stay attentive to who's, who's looking out over the harvest and, and now carrying some sense of burden. I, I got to go do something about that, which, again, is very different from give me a platform and let me show my goods to I, I can't help but go out there and do something about the lostness that's, that's around us. I, I think of the picture of Jesus in that coming up over the hill and seeing Jerusalem. And it's, you see the emotion, his tears over what that represented. And I think that's, mm-hmm. when I, I hear you saying that, I, it's kind of what I picture in my mind is like asking the church planners. I often tell them, it's like, I'm not asking you to love the church. And I'm like, before you bring me as a heretic, I think that's too small. You need to have a love for that community. And if you don't, are you really called here? That's the type of burden I think it's, because you're going to go through pain. Are you willing to, to endure that for the beauty that comes out of it? Yeah, finding the church planter whose motivation is correct. Mm. And that's a, that's a slippery one, right? <laughs> uh, heart, heart can be deceptive in that area. Uh, Often it's, I want to plant a church because I can do it better than all these other churches around here. Uh, I can do, I, I want to plant a church because I want a platform for 
because obviously people want to hear what I got to say. Right? I'm good at this. Yeah, I'm good at this. Um, but finding the person that says, I, I don't know that I want to plant a church, but there's a lost community right there, and I can't shake that. Yeah. When, when that burden grabs your heart, that you can't, you don't escape that easily. My favorite church planters are ones that accidentally plant churches. I've had a few of those that have called me and said, I just started doing some ministry in my neighborhood and I think I have a church on my hands. They didn't actually mean to do it, but it was based out of their burden and just ministry with people. I like all the other church planters, but that's always fun when someone accidentally plants a church just because of their living out of the burden they've experienced. That's pretty cool. So, because I, I think people listening or, or watching may feel like, well, hey, these other assessments that I went to or what I thought I was going to, they they tested if I could speak in front of people. They tested if I could put together a, a dinner party or something. You know, there's there's all sorts of things of can I, can I gather, can I produce, can I speak? These are all things of the heart, right? These, this is soil that we're speaking of. Why, why are we speaking of soil why why is the soil so much more important than the produce to us and and just to give some reference and context some of these guys have been assessing and coaching and training and supporting for 10 15 years so what have you learned about the soil that makes it so much more important than the produce that's that's peaking above the surface i think it ultimately boils down to whether we believe jesus was right when he started painting the picture for us that our job is not to be focused on the fruit. Our job is to be focused on the vine. Mm. And you find somebody who's attached to and centered upon the vine. Jesus promises the, the fruit will come as compared to the person who's just constantly grasping for more fruit. And so in a lot of ways, it's a faith move. I think it was easier to look for skinny jeans and cool haircuts and charismatic platform <clears throat> presence. That was easier to look for because it, it, it's clearly defined. And then it's celebrated and everybody else pats you on the back and says, it is great what that person can do. Mm-hmm. The, the deeper work is to figure out who actually knows Jesus and is centered upon him. And then it's a faith move to say, we're going to run with that person believing Jesus said, I'll, I'll bear the fruit. A uh, little more of a challenging journey, but it's, it's the beauty of watching Jesus actually do what Jesus does. John 15, yeah. I mean, he's pretty clear. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You're the branch. You're the thing that if you fall off, it doesn't really matter that much. I'm the vine. I'm the thing that produces everything. So you're saying, Jesus told us, if you're connected to me, you'll bear fruit. If you're not connected to me, you won't. And so for us, it's do we have people on our hands that are connected to Jesus? Because then we know there's going to be fruit. Brian, you say something? Yeah. Jesus said, hey, you see the things I'm doing. I'm raising the dead. I'm healing the the blind and the deaf. I'm cleansing lepers. Um, He said, these things I'm doing, you're going to do these things and more because I'm going to the Father and I'm sending the Spirit. Mm-hmm. But yet, so oftentimes we look at leaders, church planters, and say, how many people can they gather? Right. What, what is their exceptionalism? 
and yet we ignore the fact that Jesus himself said, what I'm doing as the Son of God, you're going to do that and much more because I'm sending you the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so it's just decentralization at its, at its core that oftentimes we're not looking for that. Mm-hmm. Justin, I think we changed the focus to the soil because we changed the fruit we're looking for. Mm-hmm. So if it's not about Sunday morning, it's not about filling a building up, it's, it's not about some of the attractional things, then you start to say, we need a different soil that produces a different fruit. What does that fruit look like? And are we scared at all that that is going to be a longer view? I, I, think, I think that's the reality. We all know it's a longer view, and that's why the other was easier, because it's probably easier to fill a building up than to start a disciple-making movement that goes one or two or three at a time and takes takes years to decades right yeah, that's what we tell our church but we tell our church players we could put together a sunday service like and, and we could do this in a week we we know we can do we've been doing this for 25 35 years i mean more than that we, we can do this so we don't really need to focus on that till the very end if we if we even get there so but can we make disciples first can we build a discipleship culture before we even talk about those things go ahead part of that takes us to okay, this is the type of leader we're looking for is our call is to be transformed into the image of Christ. Mm. And if, if the leader isn't pursuing and leaning into that transformation, he's certainly not going to see the fruit of his leadership to be the very thing that Jesus is asking for. Mm. And so I think that's part of the corrective nature of, you know, we can fill buildings and programs and things like that but what did it ever what was sustainable what was the fruit of that i mean i think there's some good things that did come from it there's yeah. people that met jesus and things like that but i think of what could the capacity be if we actually look at what at a at a ground level like we're talking about yeah reality is the modern church planting movement we've it's just old enough where we've seen a lot of things that we thought were something that actually were nothing <laughs> like that's, that's the good. truth of it we thought these things were really something and time has told us a different story that they they really weren't and now we're trying to say maybe we got to start with something that doesn't look like something and that let Jesus shape it into what it's supposed to be because we all could produce something that looks like something but that doesn't mean it's Jesus and we've been around long enough and we've all seen long enough and we've heard stories long enough that I I just don't think, I'm not interested in that. I don't think anybody, I know nobody around this table is interested in that. We don't want to create something that just looks like something. We want something real. That's from Jesus and from his heart. And, And in the moment, you can't, it's really hard to discern that because we are so attracted to things that look flashy. We just are. We like shiny objects. We're like little raccoons. We just love that shiny stuff. And so I think what I love about this team and, and this uh, family we're part of is that we're trying to, we're really trying to do our best to dig deeper, to say, because some stuff that looks shiny on the outside is really like pure gold. It really is. And then there's some stuff that looks shiny on the outside that's just hollow, dead on the inside. And so we're doing the hard work to try to do something different to see what's deeper. And I think that's what's maybe different about what we're looking for. 
I think it's tough because uh, I like shiny things. Yeah. Um, and what what we're talking about looking for in church planters most often isn't shiny. It's not sexy. It's it's actually countercultural. And so we're in for a long ride on this one. Uh, and but the other piece of it is that we always talk about we want to be part of a movement. And and it's going to take again there, there's a whole lot more that's unshiny and unsexy and uncultural culturally bound or whatever uh, that will yield multiplication in the long run so sticking with it's going to be the tough tough deal and a little bit of curveball to that then is I find myself at 1002 stopping and praying Lord Jesus of the harvest keep our eyes on the harvest but Lord Jesus I need you to, to raise up the Hispanic voices the Asian voices African-American voices um, because I think as, as culture continues to shift many of them have an understanding of culture that's very different than ours mm -hmm. and we need those voices and leaders built off of just the very thing we've been talking about and I think they're there but in many ways some of us need to, to give the, the place for them to step into and, and along with that we have to be okay with it just being slower right, right? and and those around us aren't often content with the slow. It's uh, slow is un-American, right? And so we have to be careful from our perspective not to get sucked into uh, the urgency of the immediate, because what we're what we're after is a slower burn. And probably to be clear, we we still have Church Planter Assessment Center, and we still work through the kinds of characteristics that you need for leadership and evangelistic heart and team building and resilience and all those kinds of things. Something I've appreciated about this team, though, is the the way we look at those things through Ephesians 2.10. And this idea that every person who walks into our assessment center is God's workmanship. They, they are a masterpiece of God. And our job is not to see, is it really a masterpiece or not? Our job is to simply come to a greater understanding of what this masterpiece is. And then to ask the question, how might that play into church planting where are they going to bring great things to the church planting world? Where are they going to need teammates, others around them to shore some things up? So we're still staying attentive to a lot of those other pieces that you would think a leader in the church, a leader in church planting is still going to need. Yeah, that's a good <clears throat> segue to, because I really want to ask what, not just who we value, but what we're what we're hoping they get to experience with us i i chose this movement over and over again because i i think it's charming i think there's charming things about it i love our theology i love the balance of the i don't i don't think it's just the right theology and every other theology is stupid and, and <laughs> I, I i like that we're, we're constantly wrestling 
Um, I, I like our intentionality as a team. Uh, again, I don't want to get into some mode where we think we're, but but I do think there's something that I love to be a part of. And and so, what what are some of those things? Why don't you unpack assessment a little bit more? Because our assessment center is something that we care quite a bit about. We get into a room about five six times a year and try to tweak it. And it's almost exhausting about how, how many times we tweak this thing. And you guys have been doing it a lot longer than me. So, give us give us more of that assessment center. Why it's important? Why assessment's important? Because it's it's something that we do pretty consistently. I'd I'd make one comment, and then let somebody else fill in the the blanks on what we do. One of the things that sets it apart for me is the heart and attitude in the front room matches the heart and the attitude in the back room. And so when the assessment team goes into the room, shuts the door spends the next eight hours of our lives processing through these clients and what we're seeing. I've, I've regularly been struck by just the love, the concern, the legitimate devotion to serving these folks really well, as compared to some other environments I've been in before where once the door gets shut, you all of a sudden see the real heart of those mm-hmm. doing the assessing kind of work and you think, man, if our clients knew what we were saying in this room, that's not gonna go well. So just the integrity piece of men and women who carry the same heart in front of those we're working with as we do when we shut the door and we're away from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do we do with our assessment centers? It really boils down to answering three questions. Uh, first question is, Uh, could they plant a church? And that's where we're digging into Ephesians 2.10. We know they're a masterpiece. The question is, is is the work of church planting the work they've been ordained to do? And so could they plant a church? And we have 19 characteristics we look at, 20 characteristics we look at there. Uh, Should they plant a church? Meaning, are they in the right place relationally, emotionally, spiritually, that they can handle the, the the rigor of planting a church and the difficulties that come along with that. And then the third question we try to answer in the midst of our church planning assessment center is if they could and if they should, how do we now coach them as we move forward? So that's, that's the 30,000 foot view of what we're trying to do. So why, okay, because <laughs> can't they just go off and plant without our assessment? Uh, don't they have their own Holy Spirit? Are, are, are we the governing body that decides whether they should plant or not or, or, or any of these things? Why is assessment important in general? One of the things I think that's so important about it is to take time to mutually discern together. Mm. I've actually advocated for us to rename it our... <laughs> Church Planter Discernment Center instead of Assessment Center, because actually that's closer to what we do in our posture towards these clients, because we care about them, and we care about God's kingdom, and we care about God's call on their life. I I don't think they even understand the depth of how much we end up caring about them um, because of the amount of time we spend in prayer and discernment on their behalf. And so we um, discern for and with them, it's really hard for us to have a clear picture just of our, in ourselves 
of our own self-awareness and our own self-awareness of what we're capable of and even what we're called to. And so this really is a coming alongside these couples who are at various points of their calling. Some of them already started stuff. Some of them it's just an idea that maybe someone else put in their head. But the client couples that we deal with walk away feeling very cared for and transformed by the work that we do there. It's some of the most significant ministry we do for uh, clients and for church planting couples. And I, I would never recommend anyone go, to an, go and plant a church without walking through something like that with a group that cares for them that much. This is gonna be hard. And so you need that deep work to confirm what God's doing in you. And most of the clients at a deeper level long for the input. Mm-hmm. So once they realize we're not here to beat you down, we're not looking for the sexy, cool thing, we're just wanting to try to walk with you, and they let that guard down a little bit, they let their performance kind of mentality go, I think at the core most of them long for somebody to speak in, help, help me see what I need to see, uh, truly value what it is that the assessment process brings into their lives. And there, there has been research that's been done, uh, statistical research that would say that those church planters who thrive in the ministry of church planting have encountered four things. Uh, they've encountered an assessment of some kind, they've encountered training, they encounter ongoing coaching and they encounter camaraderie with other planters and so I I think we do a fairly decent job of trying to provide all four of those uh, for our planters but it starts with with an assessment and making sure that we know how to coach them forward so folks would that that come to us would would go through a pre-assessment process all of ours look a little bit different but they're basically getting to the point where uh, who are you um, do we as a specific district team feel like you should take the next step and enter discernment toward a, a full church planning assessment center? Uh, and, then, and then after that, what, what kind of coaching? What, what do you guys love about our coaching, our, our training? What do you offer that you're just excited about because you, you love walking with church planners in this way? I think part of it is through the journey that they're going to go on, which is going to have a lot of challenges, is they're not alone. And as they're, they go through assessment center, then they go through training and their specific coaching, and they get to interact with other people across our region. There's a sense of that family connection that, man, I'm not alone. This is, when we talk about 80 plus million, it's like, wow, I have a part of that and they're over there doing that. But for years ahead, I've got someone coming alongside from an assessment center to monthly or however often it is coming along and coaching me. Um, And it's not just, hey, are you hitting the marks and all the measurables? It's like, but how are you doing in the midst of it? Mm. Are you still seeking to walk in great intimacy with Jesus? Because that's got to come first. Yeah, Yeah, because we we talk about wanting those decadal those those 40-year leaders uh, that's really what we are after not just in who we're looking for but how we coach um, we're rooting for people to mm-hmm. to go 40 50 years that this wouldn't be a sprint but it'd be a marathon what how, how, how are we 
hoping to come alongside these leaders. One of the aspects that, that I truly enjoy is um, watching people that I'm coaching see their value or their worth in the eyes of Jesus, just the way they are. That They don't have to strive to become someone they're not, because I think our culture, our society has defined leadership in a certain way around it, exceptionalism, and, um, and disqualified even some people from God's mission in the world. And they don't feel like they're a part of it. That only these people that, that have this certain gift mix or this certain ability are able to walk into the rhythm of God's spirit and seeing transformation around them. But to see someone, just the beauty of who God created them, step into mission and become a significant leader, a leader that probably everybody in the room wouldn't point to and say, that's the next church planter or that's the next significant leader. Um, I just marvel at, at, it's almost like Jesus says, yeah, you think that they're not significant? Watch this. Something I find interesting about what we do, uh, we're, we're all a part of a denomination together. And for a lot of people, the idea of being in a denomination is, is not attractive. Uh, what I have been struck by, though, with our church planters who walk through this initial process is we don't run with them for two years. They move out of the sort of church planting phase and now they're off on their mm -hmm. own. But the way we are set up, we actually get to continue the journey together even for decades to come. And there is an ongoing connectedness that outlives the initial church planting era. I've seen some people experience great stuff out of the gate, and then once they're sort of on their feet and a bit more established, they're sort of on their own now. <laughs> and, and the way we're set up uh, allows for that to, to not be the case, that that relationship continues, which then also in the multiplication realm allows us to turn around and say to those one-time church planters who are now in an established church, all right, how do we now go do it again and just continue the journey for years together as compared to just, hey, we'll help you get off the ground and then you're on your own. Mm -hmm. yeah, just this past week, I was with a church planter and they're moving to a fully accredited status. And uh, it happens every time with our church planters in our district. They're just like, do I have, do I have to go to that stage? Because that means I'm no longer in the church planting world. And and I've got this camaraderie, this brotherhood that I've built over the last couple of years with these guys. And, and it feels like I'm losing. I'm losing friends. I'm losing. I say, no, you're not losing. We're still here. But I'll tell you the secret to staying in the party is to just go plan again. Yeah, it's, I tell people that all the time. Yeah, it's, a, it's a real easy fix. You don't want out? Just go, let's yeah. go plan again. And, and there is something invitational and exciting to them about that. Yeah, yeah. I, I've yet to bump into any of them who turn around and say, no, nah, we'll just stay doing what we're doing and we're not interested. There, there's an excitement about it. And many are invited to be on our assessment teams and our, they're, they're part of basics. Tell us about basics. Uh, tell the folks about basics. What, what is basics? Why is platform building important as well? Yeah, so uh, of all the things that I get to do, in this church planting world, uh, basics training is the one thing I can do any day, every day, all day long. 
um, you, you, you guys can carry the weight on all the rest of them. Uh, more than glad to let that go. But uh, so years ago, went to a church planting boot camp kind of thing and took a church planter with me. We spent four days and we walked out going, we got no clue. That, 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 that didn't help us with anything. And so we decided that's got to change. Uh, and so put together a, a, a way of helping people uh, develop what we call a platform, a church planting platform. This is, this is what the church is about. This is how we're going to go about it. Here's the details to it. Uh, put it all on one page so as they're inviting people into their church planting process, they can take that one page and slide it across the table and say, this is what God's called us to in this context. Um, and, and so it, it's four days, uh, four intense days, but they're way more fun than the four days of assessment center. Uh, <laughs> a lot of laughter, a, a, a lot of opportunity to think, try not to let it be too much of a talking head environment and far more of a, a lab environment where they're wrestling uh, with Jesus, they're wrestling together as a team uh, to discern what it is that God would have them specifically do, uh, what are the values that are going to characterize everything they do, what, what do they know about their cultural context and how does that impact uh, what, what God has invited them to, what are, what's the vision that God has given them specifically for that cultural context, and then the four areas of how to how does this this cultural countercultural environment that we are building this this new expression of the body of Christ uh, how does it carry with it a, a culture of disciple making discipleship uh, how does it carry with it a culture that is deeply committed to engaging the lost. Uh, a culture that uh, embraces transformational body life and a culture that is regularly equipping for impact. And so four, four great days uh, that I think has set up our church planters for some, some great clarity and it sets up coaching for the next couple of years. Uh, coaches are going back and they're just simply taking that platform and they're coaching piece by piece over and over and over again as the church develops. So we all have different ways of coaching afterward and there's cohorts and there is one-on-one -on -one coaching and there's communities that we all have in our, in our different districts and we all, we do that in a decentric way. Um, but I, I want to shift the conversation to this is kind of what I love about doing this and being a part of this. And one of the things I love about being a part of this is that in all of our coaching, I know we're chasing very similar things. One of those things is we are not trying to build what we talked about as the beginning, at the beginning as something that we know is going to fail eventually, something that we're not trying to build attractional models that are holding up one person and one thing and one day a week that we feel like it is not really going to reproduce disciples. And we, at the same time, honor that 
there is such there's value in preaching and teaching the word of God. There's value in the gathering. There's value in the equipping of the saints. But I think we're all going after something that that has a more robust view of discipleship. And so I, I've loved learning from you guys. Uh, I've loved taking what I learned from you guys and your heart for discipleship and trying to place it on the guys that are under me because I, I think that is a more that has a more generational movement size impact as we all learn how to make disciples. Um, so I wanted to share that I'm, I'm grateful for that, that if somebody comes in and they're a part of this region, that that's what we're going after. We're trying to figure out how to do, dang it, the one thing that Jesus told us to do, right? To make disciples. It's like, it's the one thing he told us to do. And I don't think we're doing it perfectly. I don't think that we somehow have the sauce that nobody else has. But I do know that that's what we wake up and try to figure out. And as we go to bed, after these long conversations together, we're still trying to figure those things out as we kind of toss and turn. Um, so that's why I, I love, why I love being a part of uh, this movement. I, I ask you that you share what you love about it. Getting to do this together has been life-giving to me. Um, just this sense of team. But then to watch in our district the church planters that get to engage our assessment center and basic training, there's something that we always talk about as bigger than our district family. And there's things that I bring to the table and there's things I don't bring to the table. And that's the beauty of the sense of, of collectiveness of team that we have that I have no concern or question. It's like, go talk to Kyle, go talk to Todd, go talk to any of these guys, mm -hmm. because we're all chasing after the same thing. And it's just so life-giving to do that together, because it's hard, there's no doubt about that. But it's life-giving when you're not alone. And there's that beautiful thing that Jesus has built into us for such a time as this, to chase after this as imperfectly as we'll do it, but we know we're doing it together. And we're learning from each other and that's I think that's not just us that then is a part of our whole family that gets to experience the fruit of that to a greater degree one of the things I love about being part of this regional team but even the broader mission of the Christian Missionary Alliance is that we are a diverse global family and in my district and any given day, I'm working with Ethiopian church planters, first gen, second gen, Hmong church planters, Native American guys, some guys who look like the rest of us white guys around the table. But it's, we're a part of this diverse global family, and that informs how we think about discipleship and how we think about the church. And I think we get a pretty unique view in the American church of the global nature of what God's up to even from our cities and our districts and our vantage points. And I love that about what we get to do and the team that we get to be on. Uh, somewhat similar, I, I have come to really love the openness to all sorts of ways of going about it, whether it's models you think about for the church or it's, it's changes that need to be made. I, as I think back over the years, I don't know if this team has ever dropped any kind of hint to say, well, we've never done it that way. Mm -hmm. there, 
there's always been a leaning in further of, ooh, there might, there might be something here. And just the openness to explore, to celebrate a myriad of expressions, um, it's, it's a freeing environment to, to try to lead in. And I think I would add, as a newer guy at the table, the open-handedness, not only of this team, but the people that we bump into, to share, to give it away. There doesn't seem to be a hint of territorialism, or this is mine, or you have to pay for that, or <laughs> any other thing that seems to be all around us, but just a group of people saying what we're going after is important enough that, that we'll do it together and we'll live open-handed. I didn't know that was an option to charge you guys for the good ideas I have. I didn't know that that was a thing, so thank yeah, you for that. It's not a thing. I'm not paying you a thing. I think one of the things that I like comes out of sort of our historical origin of mm. a commitment to going to the places where others aren't. Mm. And again, that's not sexy. That's not always easy. It's not pretty. And yet, there's a lot of good church planting organizations and movements out there that are going to the the places people people need Jesus everywhere, right? So I'm That's not right. I'm not opposed to that, but just the fun of saying, how do we get to uh, the refugees? How do we get deaf to community. the deaf community? How do we get to the urban under-resourced environments? How do we empower leaders in those communities to multiply and um, there is there is a I, I wish it was probably more celebrated and championed but there is a sense of those things being celebrated in our family of a willingness to go to the hard places uh, to see new expressions of the body of Christ established I guess I'd better speak or people might not think I love you guys in this place. <laughs> we I were all thinking that. It, yeah. yeah, yeah. I just thought I just thought back of the early days, even of us as a group getting to know one another. And we all had this driving passion for something you said, Todd. We had we had this drive for the lostness of, of our areas. We had this this apostolic um, catalyzing uh, Valicious, or not valicious, um, just a drive to see these things happen, and yet God called us to be together. And there's no mistake. While the seven us, seven of us are around the table, and we had to work it out relationally, and we're different, and we're diverse, even in our own personalities and our own background, our ex own experiences. But that perseverance relationally has has built a bond. Uh, that is strong. We care deeply for one another. Uh, when one of us is hurting, we all hurt. Uh, when one of us is rejoicing, we all rejoice. And I think that's, that's typical, I think, of our family in general is we are about mission, uh, but we're after deeper life as well. Yeah. Deeper life with Jesus, deeper life with one another. And there's a depth there that, that is very attractive. Yeah, we're about mission, but we're also about who we're going with on that mission. Yeah. Guys, thanks for joining me in, in this conversation. I think what I enjoy about us is, is also that we just mean what we say. And so I can I can look at you guys across the table. 
uh, and I can know that we're all passionate about church planting together, um, and we're passionate about similar things, and we're passionate about the people that we do it with, and we may really screw up, and, and we, we definitely need other organizations to do it alongside of us, and we definitely need to partner, um, but as we talked about really this whole episode, the soil is what matters, and I, I trust the soil of your hearts. I trust the soil uh, of the heart of this denomination, this region. Um, and and um, yeah, thanks for diving into this conversation.